Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning, church family. My name is TJ Clausen. I'm the youth director here at Lex City. Uh, my wife Tia and I have been here uh, three years already, which sometimes seems crazy, but we are absolutely loving it. Uh, we both have a heart for just getting to work with students and really helping them have a faith that's their own. And so it's really a privilege. I find it such a great privilege to get to work with all the teenagers here at Lex City. And so if you're in middle school or you're in high school and I haven't met you yet, I would love to get to meet you. So come say hi to me after the service or go upstairs to our youth room on a Sunday and come check it out, see what we do. Or if you're here and you're like, hey, I would love to invest in this next generation, but I have no idea what that would look like. Please come talk to me. I'd love to help just get you plugged in on one of the many ways that we have people help us in youth. But this morning, I get to continue on in our summer at Lex City and share with you another name of God. If you've been with us this summer, we've been walking through different names of God and looking at what they teach us about who God is. Because this is the really cool part about names in the Bible. If you take time to study them, they're fascinating. Because names have so much meaning in the Bible. And so... For some of us, this is kind of weird because we and our modern culture don't really put as much emphasis behind the meaning behind someone's name. Maybe you are here and you actually, you know your name has a meaning. Your parents like told you this is why we named you this. All right. Others of you though, maybe your parents just picked a name that they thought was cool and there was no meaning behind it at all. All right. I fall into this category. So my legal name is Tyler. All right. And so I looked up just for fun. I was like, what does Tyler mean? So Tyler, I found out babynames.com, no better place to look. It's this, it originated in England, and Tyler means tile maker or house builder. So I called my mom this week, I was like, mom, were you hoping that I was going to grow up and build houses and work with my hands? Uh, and she said, no, we just thought it was a really cool name, and honestly, we wanted to call you TJ, so I've never even gone by Tyler, okay? So you can try and figure out what the J stands for, that'll be my little game for you. But if you're like me, and you don't know this great meaning behind your name, just for fun, here are the top 20 U.S. baby names from the 80s and the 90s, all right, and where they came from and their definition. So, and if your name isn't up there, just pull out your phone. Go to babynames.com really fast. Look it up because it's fascinating, all right? And here's what I find really interesting about this list is look how many of our most popular names today still come from the Hebrew language. These are still Hebrew names, the language of the Old Testament, which means some of you are living right now and walking around with the same name as people who lived in the time of the Bible. And here's the cool thing about names in the Bible. In an ancient culture, your name was supposed to represent who you are. So if I lived in the times of the Bible and my name was Tyler, it would actually have been because my parents hoped that I would be this great house builder. Maybe they thought he's going to grow up and build a community, so we're going to call him Tyler. Or maybe I had developed this name because of my great building ability. My community that I lived in began to call me Tyler. Because this is the cool part about names, is your name was so important and so defined who you are that people actually had multiple names or would even develop or change their name throughout their life. And you might think, well, that sounds really confusing. Why would anyone want multiple names? How would you know who people are? But it's because people had different ideas of what names were back then. See, we think of names today as something legal, right? It's on your birth certificate. It's on your driver's license. It's on your social security card. It's just what your name is. 
but it was different back then. They didn't have government IDs back then, right? Like, they didn't have a driver's license. Maybe they did have, like, some donkey permit for, like, the teenagers, right? And you, like, pull out this rock with, like, a cave painting, and it's like, sorry, officer, this is me, okay? That's not what they did back then. That's not how they identified each other. Their names were more similar to what we kind of understand to be nicknames. And Pastor Dave talked about this a few weeks ago, and it's so helpful to understand when you get into the Bible. See, think for a second. Go back to high school or go back to college, right? Go back to your great friend groups, and I'm sure some of those friends had amazing nicknames, right? Names that were tied to some inside joke or something dumb that they did. Anyone have, like, nicknames for friends because of some stupid thing they never got to live down, right? Like, when I was in college, one of my freshman friends, his name was Hook, because he asked some stupid question about hookah during freshman orientation, and he never outlived it. We just called him Hook for the rest of college. Or when I was in middle school and high school, I had a friend that we just called Opie, and I don't even remember why. We called him it for so long that we forgot what his, like, government name even was. I think maybe it's Austin, but if I saw him today, I would still just be like, Opie, what's up? Like, that's his name now. Or a really, really good nickname is tied to something that describes or defines somebody, right? One more for you. When I was in high school, I played against this kid every year who was 6'10". And so we just called him Stretch, all right, because he was tall, he was lengthy, like it just defined who he was. And this is more similar to what Bible names are like. A name in the Bible represented something about you. If you were named Stretch, you knew it was a tall, lengthy dude, okay? And so every name in the Bible has this deep meaning behind it and is supposed to teach you about that person. For good or for bad, the name is telling you what you need to know about this person. And just like names described people's character, the Bible is full of names of God that describe his character. And so this morning, I want to share with you one of my all-time favorite names of God. It's a name that I think not a lot of people have heard of before, and it comes from Moses in the book of Exodus. And so I hope by the end of this morning, you'll see why this is one of my favorite names of God. And so as we jump into Exodus chapter 17, you can follow along. If you want all the notes and all of the scripture on your phone, just go to lexcity.info. You can hit sermon notes. But while you're getting there, let me just give you a little context of what's happening in Exodus 16, in 17. In chapter 16, the Israelites leading up to it have been walking through the wilderness after they've been leaving their captivity in Egypt. God has been providing for them in the wilderness. He provides food through this miraculous manna and quails landing every day. In the first half of 17, right before what we're going to read, he actually gives them water from a rock. And so this theme of God's provision is going to continue in our story, but in a different way. Today we're going to see what we can learn from Israel's first battle in the name that God gets from it. And so let's begin this morning, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says this, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and he fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. And so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so that his hands held steady until sunset. 
verse 13. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15, Moses built an altar there and he named it Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, and so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. All right, so let me break down what's going on in this story, and then I want to look at this name that Moses calls God, Yahweh Nissi. So here we have the Israelites. They're leaving Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness on the way to the promised land that God had promised through Abraham. And they get attacked along the way by the Amalekites. Now, I don't know about you, but I get confused by all of the ites that are attacking Israel in the Bible, right? Like, if you read the Bible, they're always fighting with the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, parasites, mosquito bites, like all the ites that they got to fight. And so the Amalekites specifically are this, like, worst, lowest scum of all of the ites, okay? They are this early nomadic tribe that doesn't really have any cities, any towns, any homes of their own. They just travel and survive off of attacking the weakest people groups that they can find. So for all you Star Wars fans out there, okay, the Amalekites are like your Tusken Raiders or like sand people, okay? They make their living by just attacking everybody else and living off of whatever they can plunder. A cool fact, though, about the Amalekites is that they are believed to be the first to domesticate the camel to use in these swift surprise attacks where they could run in, get their stuff, and get out of there. And so this is what's happening here. The Amalekites see this large group of people that are traveling through the wilderness, and they develop this raiding party. And knowing the Amalekites and how they fight, they're going to go towards the back. They're just going to try and pick off the stragglers and just get as much as they can, as fast as they can, and get out of there. And so here we have our first battle for God's people as they turn around to defend themselves from these Amalekite raiders. Joshua leads this group of brave men. They turn to the defense of their brothers. You have Moses going on a hill and holding some stick up in the air for some reason to help them. All right. And it's they finally win and they defend themselves from the Amalekites. And then look again what Moses does after this victory in verse 15. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nissi. So there's a lot of great, interesting things that you can pull from this story. But today I just want to look at this name that God is called in verse 15. Yahweh Nissi. It's one of my all-time favorite. But what does it mean? Okay? So get your pens ready. All right? We're going to walk through a little ancient Hebrew for you this morning and look at this name of God. All right? So it's a two-part name. The first is Yahweh which maybe many of you have heard, and you know that's kind of like the conventional name of God. We understand this to be the name of God because back in Exodus 3, Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? Who are you? And God says this. He says, say to the people of Israel, I am, or Yahweh, or Jehovah has sent me to you. Okay, just three different ways to say in English this word, this Hebrew word that God uses for his name. So, without taking too long on this, let me just help you with this, all right? With biblical Hebrew, they don't have vowels, and their alphabet is a little bit different than our alphabet, okay? And so, when you see uh, the words Yahweh or Jehovah, these are just the English ways of representing the Hebrew letters or the Hebrew consonants that make up that name that God uses. And so, um, I am 
that we translate is like the translation of the word, and Yahweh or Jehovah are like the pronunciation of the Hebrew word. Does that kind of make sense? Here's what you really just need to know from it. Anytime you see any of those three things, I am, Yahweh, or Jehovah, it is just the English way of interpreting the name, the Hebrew word that God uses for his name. Okay, so if you understand Yahweh, let's look at the second word in this name, which is Nisi. This is way simpler, okay? Nisi, the word that we translate my banner, literally just means this, signal pole or flag. Now I know what you're thinking. TJ, you took all this time to just explain to us that your favorite name of God is God, my flag. That doesn't even make sense, and it does not even sound like the coolest name that he has. Okay, yes, it is my favorite, and I hope by the end of today it's going to be one of your favorites too, because this is why. If you understand, Nisi is most often used in a military context where the Nisi or the Ness is a signal pole around which an army can rally, regroup, or return to for instructions. Okay, so for all you visual learners, here's a couple examples of like what we're talking about when we say this signal pole or this military flag. All right, here's like a few examples. These are obviously a little more modern than like what the Egyptians or the Israelites would have used, but we can see that this concept is around and familiar back then. So as you can see, there's these tall banners that people could look to on the battlefield and see it from wherever they are. And depending on what banner was flying and where it was on the battlefield, it would give the troops' instructions of what they were supposed to do. Some flags showed where their general was so that they knew he was okay if the banner was still flying. Some flags gave them directions to, like, rally to. They would know, okay, I got to start fighting in this direction. Sometimes they'd even fly a flag that was like, okay, fight defensively, stand your ground, help is on the way. All right, but most commonly, these flags or these banners were ways to identify where important people or groups were on the battlefield, and that would give you direction on what you should do as you fight. Because think about it, back then, right, dudes are fighting swords, close, hand-to-hand combat, all right, there's no time to be like, text your general like, all right, I won this part, where are we heading next? All right, like, you have basically a second to like, look up, identify your flag, and then figure out what you are supposed to do next. So you would look up, you could see maybe where your general was and if he needed help based on where his banner was. Uh, Maybe there's a certain banner that they would fly to let you know, like, retreat, pull back. Like, that would be a really good one to remember. Like, was that the green flag or the red flag? Like, you should know which one retreat is, okay? But the point is this, is that there were these things that they could look up to on the battlefield that would provide instruction and guidance from their leader and provide them comfort, like knowing where their leader was at all times on the battlefield. And so after this battle, Moses builds an altar and he calls God Yahweh Nissi. God is my banner. Because during this battle, the staff, which represented God's presence, was used as this signal banner for the Israelites during their battle. This is the same staff that Moses has been carrying that parted the Red Seas, that brought um, the plagues on Egypt, that just earlier brought water from a rock for them. It represented God's presence with the people. And so here is Moses. He is on this hill. He is holding up the representation of God's presence as the encouragement, as the direction for these Israelites. And this concept of God as our banner is echoed throughout the Bible. Psalm 60 verse 4 says this, But you have raised a banner for those who fear you, a rallying point in the face of attack. Again, in Isaiah 5, 26, it reads, He will send a signal to distant nations far away and whistle to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing towards Jerusalem. 
So what does this name, Yahweh Nissi, tell us about God? It's the understanding that in tough times, God is our banner. Meaning that when we look to him, we find hope, we find strength, we find the instruction that we need to face the things that we're fighting in our lives. That when we feel like we're under attack and we are, we are on our own in our difficulties, we can remind ourselves to look up, to look for God, and he can provide us the instructions that we need to get through. Because here's the reality, right? We all know life is not easy, right? We are going to face difficulties and battles in our lives. Friends are going to disappoint us. Families are going to get broken. Dreams are going to feel like they're falling apart. Careers are going to get put on hold. Through the enemy or just our own sinful decisions, we will have times where we feel like we are far from God. It's in those times that we face battles that we need to remind ourselves of this name of God, Yahweh Nissi, to remind ourselves that God is with us even in our battles. He is who we can look towards to, re, to rally, to regroup, to return to for instructions. And that's true about God because our banner is his name. And so how do we look to God as our banner? Let me just challenge you with two instructions to look how to look to God when you face the battles in your life. All right, the first thing is just simply this, it's look up. All right, look up, and that might sound so simple, but it's something that we need to be reminded to do. It's a choice that we have to make. See, when we're dealing with battles and the hard times in our lives, we oftentimes forget to even look up, right? We get so focused with what we're dealing with and how it's affecting us right now, and we get so consumed with the problem that we never take our eyes off of it. We get so focused on what's going wrong that we never take time to actually focus on God. Because when we're in the midst of our battles, you feel surrounded and oftentimes overwhelmed. And if you're so consumed with the struggle that's happening in your life that you never look up, then you miss all of the rallying, all of the instructions, all of the comfort that you could have gotten from God. See, if you never look up, then you're just relying on your own strength and what you can see as you fight these difficulties. And the reality is when we're in a battle, the only thing we see is just what is right in front of us. But if we can remember to look up, we see God and know that he's still with us and he provides strength and instruction. See, we need to look up to see the banner and know that we're not alone and that God is fighting with us. And so in your day, take time to pause, breathe, pray, read the word, take time to focus and look up throughout your day, throughout your week, make time to be in life groups, make time to be at church, like make time to look up in your week. Because if we never stop and look for the instruction, then we are missing what God is trying to give us. See, when was the last time you took time to focus your thoughts and emotions on God's direction for your situation? See, the name Yahweh Nissi reminds us that God is on the battlefield with us if we would just take time to look up. And so that's step one, but then the second is this, and it's equally as important, it's look at the right banner, all right? Look at the right banner because just because you look up, if you look to the wrong thing, the wrong banner, you're going to get the wrong instructions. And the reality is there are other banners out there waving for our attention. Now, when I think about 
a banner that brings hope, that brings joy, that people rally around. There's one specific banner that comes to my mind, all right? It's been six years since this happened, but the joy and the hope of this banner still lives with me, all right? But I always have to apologize when I give this analogy to Austin Leopard, who's on staff, because one of the best nights of my life was one of the worst of his. But I got to live in Chicago the year that the Cubs won their first World Series in 108 years. So if you weren't watching baseball six years ago or you don't do the whole sports ball thing, just let me set the stage for you, okay? The Cubs have not won a World Series in 108 years. Specifically, they've been under a curse for 71 years because they kicked out this fan and his goat from their stadium, okay? It's very scientific. You can follow it. But in 2016, the Cubs finally break the postseason curse, they beat the LA Dodgers to make it to their first World Series game in 108 years. And now they're just four wins away from making history and breaking the longest postseason championship drought in all of sports history. And so against all odds, the Cubs force a game seven against Cleveland. They're in Cleveland, winner takes all game. And so Tia and I were living in Chicago. We're like, all right, we're going to go to Wrigleyville. We're going to stand out in the streets with all of Chicago and watch what ends up being one of the greatest Game 7s in World Series history. And so the Cleveland, they tie the game up in the eighth inning. It goes to extra innings. The Cubs get two runs in extra innings. Now they're three outs away from winning their first World Series in 108 years. And just to give you a little taste of it, here's what Chicago looked like from a video that I got of the Cubs getting their last out. So I actually went and watched the whole game again earlier this week just to get the memories back. And just to prove that that was my video, okay, here's Tia in the corner of that video, all right. It was late, it was cold, it was past midnight by the time the game ended, so she was a trooper if you know how early she likes to go to bed. But it was this amazing, amazing memory. But now why do I bring up the 2016 Cubbies? It's because of the W flag. All right, the W flag became this banner for the entire city of Chicago. I still have mine. I keep it in my office to remind me of the amazing memories. And the flag itself is simple. The W just stands for win. It's old. It's been around forever. But for this postseason, it became this rallying cry for an entire city. Hashtag fly the W would be everywhere. People would have their W's hanging out of their apartments, out of their cars, out of their businesses, from the top of the Sears Tower all the way to the project neighborhoods on the south side where the Sox fans live. There were still W flags flying in Chicago. And it was something that the city had joy around, had hope in. There was this idea, no matter what my life was like, I could look to the W flag because the Cubs were going to break this amazing curse. And you would be on the platform waiting for the train, and it's late, and it's cold, and you're like, you see that train come around the corner, and all of a sudden, it's flying a W. You're not even mad that the subway's late. You're like, we're flying the W, baby. Or someone would cut you off in traffic, but they'd have a W sticker or a W flag, and you're not even mad. You're actually honking celebratory. You're like, fly the W, bro. Like, it was just 
this legitimate uniting thing for an entire city for over a month. But here's the thing, as awesome as this flag is, as great as this season of life and the memories that it represents to me, when later that same year, we had unexpected medical bills as poor young married college kids we had to figure out how to pay for, this brought me zero hope. Right? Like telling me, hey, fly the W when I'm stressed about how we're going to pay for things did not help at all. And the reality is, right, this flag, this banner has no hope when a loved one gets sick, right? It has no hope when your job is in trouble. It has no hope when your marriage is in trouble. The reality is, is if we look to the wrong banner, it doesn't actually provide us hope. And so you have to look to the right banner. Are you looking to God in the midst of your battle? Are you looking at something else for the source of your strength and direction? See, when you do take time to look up, to look for that help, is it actually your bank account that's your banner? Is it actually your family reputation? Is it your career that's your banner? What is the thing that you look towards for guidance, advice, stability, or comfort? Let me remind you, church, if we look to the wrong thing for our guidance, we're going to get the wrong instruction, and ultimately we're going to be defeated. But if in the midst of our battles we keep our eyes on God, who gives us strength and instruction, then we overcome the battles that we face. And this is why I love this name, God is my banner, Yahweh Nissi, because it's both a command and an encouragement, right? It is a command that when you are facing battles, Look up. Don't get so focused on just how it's feeling and what you're dealing with that you never take time to focus on God. See, don't get so consumed on the worry that you stop looking for God in the process. See, why is it when we get the most busy and the most stressed, we're actually at church the least? Why is it when we are the most stressed and most overwhelmed, we're reading our Bibles and we're praying the least? Why is it when we are the most exhausted, it's our morning time with God that we're okay sleeping through to get those extra 30 minutes? Because we have to be reminded to look up. Otherwise, we get consumed with what we see in front of us. And if all we do is focus what's at our feet, we miss completely the God who's above it, who's trying to comfort and give us the instructions that we need. But Yahweh Nissi, it's also an encouragement. It's a promise that when we do look up, we find God and he's already paving the way for us. He's already fighting for us. He's providing for us. He's saying, follow me. I'm making a way through. Follow my banner. Why do I love this name? God is my flag because in it is the truth that he's my provider, my protector, my strategist, my general, my conqueror. Because here's the promise that if I look to him, I will get the correct direction, instruction, and comfort I need for any battle. That's the truth. If we look to him, we get the correct instruction, direction, comfort that we need. And that's the beauty of the name of God, that these are things that we can hold God to. These are things that are true about him because just like a great nickname, God has earned these names. They describe who he is. And so yes, we have a role. We have to look up, we have to search, we have to seek him. But ultimately, it's a reminder that when we do, there's a promise that he's there and he's fighting for you. 
He's on the battlefield with you. Really, he's over the battlefield already. He says, keep looking up. I'm here. I've got you. I'm your banner, and I'm not going to be defeated. So where are you at in your battle? When was the last time you looked up? Because if you're in the difficulties, you're not going to find any hope if you can't take a step and just look up for help. But then the second thing is you have to look at the right banner. Right? If we're looking to anything other than God for our source of comfort, our source of direction, our source of strength, it ultimately will fail you. All other banners, as awesome as they are, are temporary. God is the one true source that says, I am your strength, I am your source, I will never fail, I am forever, I am consistent. He is who we can look to to rally, to regroup, just to return to for instruction when we have battles that we have to face. That's what this name Yahweh Nissi describes about who God is. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you just so much for the truth of your word this morning. Yahweh Nissi, in all our victories, you give us victory over sin and temptation and selfishness because of you. God, in the midst of the difficult battles that we're facing right now, help us remember to look up and to look to you and to look only for you. Lord, you're the one who can give us the strength we need to overcome. So let us stop looking at these false and temporal banners and let us look to you. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.